Welcome to Twin Cities Theatre Chat. This podcast is created by members of the Twin Cities Theatre Bloggers to share our love of theatre, promote theatre going, and support our theatre community. My name is Carol Jackson, and I write for Minnesota Theatre Love. On this episode of the podcast, our bloggers Jill Schaefer of Cherry and Spoon and Kendra Plant of Artfully Engaging will be chatting with Butch Roy, the executive director of Huge Improv Theatre. Huge Theatre has a lot to celebrate. They have recently purchased a building just a few blocks away from their old building at Lindale on 31st. The new one is at 2728 Lindale Avenue in Minneapolis, and they are planning their grand opening for Friday, November 3rd. So how does an arts organization actually buy their own building in this financial climate? Tune in and find out, as well as all the exciting things that they have planned for this space. Enjoy. Well, thanks again, Butch, for joining us. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in HUGE and um, how HUGE came about? Oh, just that. Uh, Hi, my name is Butch Roy. I'm the co-executive director at HUGE Improv Theater. I am one of the the original members and and founders of the theater company. Uh, The the group started as a performing group, shifted into uh, producing improv shows in the Twin Cities, oh, about uh, 25 years ago, and uh, slowly built up uh, audiences and shows until it became uh, clear to us that it was uh, time to open our, our own stage. And uh, we put together uh, a huge improv theater, uh, got its first space on uh, Lake and Lindale 13 years ago. And uh, we opened doors and we've been running uh, ever since. We ran about 600 shows a year for 13 years. And we're recently, uh, that lease ended and we're moving over to a new space that we're building uh, three blocks away on 28th in Lindale. So that's the, that's the short version of how huge theater came to be. I got my start at the Brave New Workshop. I was a, a student there and uh, became their technical director, which uh, I, I did for about 12 years. And just love improv and, and being an artist in the Twin Cities. Thank you for sharing that. And um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit too about, I know that the change from the, the original space um, to where Art Materials is now on Hennepin, um, that I was it around two, 2019 that that almost happened originally. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what happened there and how it's different this time? <laughs> sure. Oh, man, I can tell you more than you ever wanted <laughs> to know. This is the part of running a theater that nobody ever asks you about, and you will learn more, like more nuance and just tedious procedure than you ever wanted to know and there's no other use for it and no one will ever ask about it so this is fantastic um in the middle of our lease uh we told our landlord that we wouldn't be renewing uh, our lease when it uh when it ran out we actually reduced we we used to rent uh rehearsal spaces and some other things from him as well uh we reduced our footprint with him as much as we were legally able to do uh we told him we wouldn't be renewing our lease uh which meant that we needed to get to work on finding a new space we engaged a broker named Chris Graybeck, who was, uh, we were connected to through our friends at Shelter Architecture. He he approached us and was like, you know, love the cause, uh, want to help. And through him and conversations with the Browns, the the family that own uh, art materials, <clears throat> we started negotiating a, a potential sale of the building. They were interested in selling. We were certainly interested in buying. The trick was really just the timing. And well, the trick is always the money, but the timing didn't help. We were 
talking to Propel nonprofits, as well as uh, a couple of other lenders, along with uh, the land bank at one point. Like we, you know, we tried everything we could to uh, get the deal together uh, as quickly as we could because the timeline was really aggressive. We had, uh, we signed a purchase agreement in early 2019. When it was all said and done, we had about we had about a hundred days to fundraise the down payment on what would have been the the loan for the purchase. So we didn't even make it that far. I think we got 45 days in and, and one of the one of the lenders essentially got nervous and uh, and bailed. And without them, the other lender was, you know, it was their cue to pull up stakes and bail, which was unfortunate because, I, you know, as far as fundraising on a really rapid timeline goes, I was, I thought it was amazing. We raised, uh, you know, I think it was $180,000 in 25 days. So the, the purchase didn't happen. The Browns were not thrilled. Uh, nor were we. Uh, it was, didn't go the way anybody wanted it to go. But at that point, we we took some time to recover. We had to kind of go away and lick our wounds, as it were, and decided that we needed to get serious and actually, you know, have a proper capital campaign if we were going to buy a space ever. Uh, so we enlisted a uh, an expert and started some community interviews and community mapping to to really launch a proper capital campaign and. He got back to us with the results. We had a Zoom meeting, and he sort of laid out like what our fundraising capacity could be, and you know what you know what we had ahead of us. And we we all we we left that Zoom meeting all like ready to ready to do it. Like we we're going to roll it out, get started, and and find Huge's forever home. And that meeting was on March 11th of 2020. So not even a week later, we shut down uh, because of the pandemic. So it was not the time to fundraise. Uh, or have a, a real grown-up capital campaign. It wasn't the time to do any sort of fundraising other than just pure survival mode. So that was comically unfortunate. <laughs> but yeah, that was the that's sort of the long and short version of the 2019 uh, saga. But we had established a relationship with the Browns. Um, we we had already had um, we had had environmental work done. We had you know geologists come in and look at the space like you have to when you're when you're purchasing a commercial space, we'd done all the pre-work for the purchase, which eventually paid off. We, you know, essentially we got that legwork back many years down the line, which was fantastic. But because of that, we were able to, when we reopened again and, and getting to work on, you know, how we were going to move and where we we're going to move to uh, art materials or 2728 was the, the first logical choice. And the Browns were still interested in discussing, but at, the, at this juncture, it was a lease instead of a purchase. So we negotiated a 10-year lease. So we had a home. And then over the course of more conversations and dealing with different lenders this time, that evolved into uh, what eventually became the purchase of the building. So it took a few years to get there, uh, but we saw it through. Did that hit on the nature of, of the Yeah, that's really, oh, that, I know when you got to the COVID part of uh, the pandemic, I was like, oh, oof, yeah. Um, right? Remember that's, that day? Yeah. <laughs> that's oh. arts, arts administration and artists everywhere. Just uh, it was a rough, rough time. Oh, rough time. it was the worst. Well, uh, we're so, so glad that you're, um, that it, this is still happening. I'm glad uh, because you're moving closer. You're in my neighborhood already, but you're coming oh, closer to me and I'm very happy about it. I welcome more improv in my life. So ex we're really excited about it. Awesome. Yeah, I oh could not be happier. I mean, what a relief and what a perfect end to all of that. You know, the 
we we fell in love with the space and we were all heartbroken when it didn't come together and then we were able to come back and still make it happen and that was just joyous Oof. yeah that's that's a great sort of full <laughs> circle story so i'm glad Oof. it worked out um and when does that new space open because you're currently performing at center for the performing arts is that correct that's correct we whew, that is the that is the million dollar question isn't it originally uh and this isn't the question you asked but originally our plan was uh we actually took possession of the space in may on may 1st and our intent was to spend may and june doing major construction and then july and august making the move from 31st to 28th that did not come to pass as the dealing with the city took far far longer than anyone would have guessed and uh, we did actually didn't get our permits to begin construction until July 27th. So we were about three months behind on a two-month construction project, which is not great. Um, but Becky Hauser got in touch with, uh, actually reached out to a number of uh, people. But we we actually had um, other venues reaching out to us once we, we posted the updates about our construction delays. We heard from several venues that were like, if you want to come put shows in our space, well, you know, during the delays, that would, you know, you're welcome, which was so great. And again, why I love being a producer in the Twin Cities. Like there's nowhere else like the Twin Cities. I love it. I love it. But we got started in late July and I was just there again today. Uh, They're still planning, they're planning to be out and done with major construction by October 20th. Uh, our original plan had been to have a soft opening on the 13th. So we had already pushed that back. Our plan now is to have our first shows there on the 27th, which means seven days between the end of major construction for all the rigging and prep and everything else. But I think we can do it. Um, and the grand opening is slated for November 3rd. That's coming up soon. Well, my favorite yeah. huge show is a uh, family dinner. I always oh. have to see family dinner every day, every year. It's this long form improv about this group of family and they actually eat dinner. And I think that plays like most of November and December, right? Correct. Yeah. And I'm actually returning to the cast this year. I, I took a few years off okay. and I'm so excited. That is the most challenging show I've ever done in, really? in, the, in the best of ways. I just, um, I don't know. And maybe I'll speak for myself at least. I'm not an actor. Um, I got into improvisation for entirely different reasons. I never felt the calling to be a, a dramatic actor, but there's something really, really, really appealing in improvisation uh, you know, once you get past the, you know, it, you can do the the weird, like we're a bunch of time traveling vampires, you know, whatever. You can do all the weirdo improv you want, but then there's also the really fun, um, sort of deeply moving uh, improv where you you get to decide how much of yourself you're you're you know you're okay with being on stage and how vulnerable you you can be and still also improvise from that place. And family dinner sort of touches on that where it's improvised realism, but it's improvised realism that really draws its roots from the your family of origin and your your family traditions and everyone has those stories and those weird quirks that make their family holidays really unique and the vulnerability to be comfortable bringing those out on stage and doing it in an environment where uh, because we improvise the you know all we know is that we're a family coming home for the holidays you don't even know which family member you're going to be until you step on stage and somebody opens the door and says oh uncle phil is here you know you really have to be willing and able to bring a lot of yourself and a lot of that silliness and but also keep it serious and and uh be ready to play 
with the, all the weird quirks that make a family a family and also all of the potential for heartbreak and and very real emotion that come from you know family situations and and the people that know you the best and and the cast is really great at seeing those moments uh molly ritchie casts a lot of folks that are seasoned enough improvisers to you know know when things are funny and weird but also see those moments where they can just sort of open it up and and have a really touching scene and you get to play the full spectrum in a way that you rarely get a chance to do oh difficult and challenging and so rewarding it's so fun yeah that's interesting to hear because an, uh, from the audience perspective it feels so real and grounded and so relatable you know everyone has those awkward family dinners and it's just amazing to watch people build these relationships right in front of you so i'll definitely oh. be checking out the new space to see family dinner this fall yay so, yeah, I'll have to try that one. I haven't seen that one. You've never oh, seen it? It's no, the best. Yet. We will it's have a, so a theater bloggers great. night at family dinner for sure. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. It's that show that like when we come off stage, everyone in the cast is like, that thing that you did, that's real. My family used to do that. Like it's so deeply connected to who you actually are. And they actually oh. eat on stage, which I love watching <laughs> people eat on stage for some reason. Oh, so oh my God. It is you don't realize how powerful of a weird prop it is until suddenly like, you know, we we've mimed a million dinners, you know, and and restaurant scenes and all those things, but it's not the same as having somebody just slam their, their silverware down on the table. And I think it was the first year we did it a huge Katie Kessler played a, I think she was the matriarch of the family. And the, the secret that her husband had was that he had a whole second family in Iowa. And so, of course, one of the cast members decided to play his secret wife that decided to come to Thanksgiving. And Katie threw down and she held on to like something was simmering for the entire first act and halfway through the second act. And it wasn't until uh, Sarah Brown was playing the the other woman, as it were, uh, reached for the pumpkin pie. And that and Katie snapped and was like, no, you don't get to have my pumpkin pie and grabbed an entire pumpkin pie. And took a bite out of it like it was a cookie and stormed out. And she earned it so hard. Like the audience wanted to jump out of their seats, but just just took a bite of this pumpkin pie and stormed off stage with it and didn't come back for 15 minutes and was absolutely the star of the show. It was so cool <laughs> in the weirdest way. Uh, you never get a chance to do that stuff when you're improvising and it just doesn't have the same weight, you know? Yeah, you never know what's going to happen at family dinner. Oh. So going back to the space, um, can mm-hmm. you talk about why it is that you wanted to own a space and what are the advantages or disadvantages to owning a space as opposed to leasing? What what oh. other things can you do now that you own the <laughs> space? Yes, I'd be happy to talk about that. By the way, I will always over answer and you feel free to edit me down all you want. It oh, is we love it. good, good, good. Um, so I will go on, but you steer me around as you like. Well, I mean, the there's there's a number of ways in which leasing is unideal, right? And you know, some of them are just capitalism, right? You're just sort of stuck in that treadmill of you know, and it becomes really apparent when you announce that you're not renewing your lease with your landlord uh, and looking at a fundraising scenario in which you come out of 13 years of lease, and what do you have to show for it? I mean, literally everything we had in huge theater, which again did thousands and thousands of shows. In this, in this location for 13 years, you know, all fit in one U-Haul truck. 
you know, your assets are uh, a truckload of chairs and some lights and, and really you don't, it's, it's really, really, really difficult to build yourself a base that you can grow further from when you're, when you're leasing, making that lease payment is, is the threat that looms over you every single day, every month of that lease, which by the way, we paid our, we paid every penny of our lease every month, including the 483 days we were closed. And, and when you get into running a theater space, that was the first thing that everybody said, like, you know, there's no way you're going to make the money like, and, and good luck doing it with a comedy theater. And we, and we grew, you know, it, it, it took some real hard years and, and, and some real discipline to get there, but we, we built up the reserves to be able to not live under the constant threat of eviction. But then beyond that, there's just no, there's no more traction. You can only sort of grow so much when you don't have the the equity and the assets to build upon. The same way, if you own the space, you know, owning real estate means you can get you know credit for for lean times and equipment that breaks down and, and things that when you're leasing, all you are on a on a balance sheet is debt, uh, <laughs> which is a terrible proposition. But also. There's things that people don't think about. Like uh, we learned that at least twice our landlord was approached by developers that offered to buy, they wanted to buy the, basically the space from the corner of 31st down to, uh, I forget which property, but they wanted to, you know, they were trying to find a spot for another condo tower and they absolutely had the pockets to buy us out of our lease and, and throw us out on the street. And they fully planned to. And it was really only, because our landlord owns so many properties that he wasn't swayed by it, but he absolutely could have, he could have taken the payday and they, they could have given us the boot. And what would we been able to do about it? Absolutely nothing. Um, and that's, it's gone that way for theaters that are in malls and, and, you know, sort of multi-use spaces. Like you're just at the whims of what your landlord sees as the future. And if they're not a believer in the art form that you put on, good luck to you. So it's a, it's a precarious scenario every single day for 13 years uh, or, you know, for us, it was 13 years, but, you know, there are institutions like the Brave New Workshop that lease the space for, you know, 50 years. And it's still a, and then getting from that space to owning is the difficulty. It is the, you know, that's the great filter, right? Um, it's insanely difficult. And I've talked to, I don't know, I've, I've talked to, I don't know how many you know, bankers and lenders and credit managers that just, they don't care at all about the art and this beautiful, valuable thing that you know that you have. And our balance sheet, by the way, looked terrific. We were nothing but a story of growth and reserves. Even that was, eh, mm, the arts, ooh, you know, it's not, you're not talking about exponential growth. You're not talking about, you know, high profit margins that, uh, you know, that they want to see. And certain lenders are more flexible than others, but it wasn't until we found uh, or were introduced to IFF out of Illinois that is a nonprofit lender, uh, is an equity-based lender that really sees the value in you know what a you know what an arts organization can do if they own their their space. I mean, I, I think the biggest one is is the furthest off, but I think it's it's what I, keeps me going in in especially when we're you know trying to build the space and get it open. You know, we have a 15-year loan to pay off this building. And we've been running, you know, for 13 years, just constantly paying that debt that we that we have every month. Early on in Huge's history, we made a, a promise to pay our artists and to pay our staff and, and to try to do so as equitably as we can while not risking the future of the theater. But 
in 15 years, when that loan is paid off, that is an entirely different financial landscape for huge theater to be able to pay artists to be artists. It suddenly changes the entire scope of the mission or, you know, it's, and it's sad that it's so much of it hinges on money, but that's why they call it money. You know, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, 15 years from now, we won't be talking about little stipends to come teach classes. We will have budgets to pay hopefully living wages to artists to do art and, and to do this form of art that, you know, has always been a side project for people that have to take paying, you know, commercial gigs and, and, uh, and other things and improvise on the side. It, you know, that'll be a first uh, in our world and that's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. So it's more than <laughs> just a building. It's not just oh, a man. building. It's a, it's a way to support artists and continue the future of artists Absolutely. Of, of improv and comedy at a time well, when, when the performing arts are struggling. I think it's great that you all are making that investment. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's a way to change the conversation that I hate so much, which is walking into a room with people with money. Um, <laughs> and, and so much of that, and I got to, you know, again, this isn't what you asked, but I owe so much of that. We owe so much thanks to our community because throughout this process, even, you know, IFF and Propel, who are nonprofit focused, still had some, some trepidation around, you know, we're an unproven entity talking about how live performance is going to come back, you know, in the, in the post-pandemic years and, and uh, you know, a lot of things that would make any lender nervous, right? And so we had a, an online fundraiser in our, from our community, much like we do in, in November for Give to the Max Day. And our community raised $50,000 in two weeks, which, you know, the, the, the dollars and cents of that make a massive difference. Uh, don't get me wrong. But I think the biggest difference is it changes the tenor of the conversation that you're able to walk in and have the next time we have a meeting with the bank. You know, the, the same bank that's been very like, ooh, I don't know, uh, you know, these projections, we're not sure. And to have our community just blow it out of the water so we can show up at the next meeting and be like, you were saying, like, just sign the papers. And and that's the, that was really astounding. And, and, and I think really the proof that anybody needed was, you know, that uh, how important it can be to an art form and a community of artists. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. what is what is this new space going to look like? Is the theater space about oh. the same? Do you have more classes, classrooms? And is for someone who does not live in the neighborhood, what is the parking right. situation going to be? Oh, man. So we're in the South Building of what used to be. So our materials used to occupy the, the South Building at 2728. And we are taking that over. So it's twice the size of our former building. Uh, in fact, the the entire building of the original huge theater would fit almost entirely in the theater space in the new, the, the, the new huge. So we have two full-size classrooms rather than, you know, just where we can wedge a classroom into a, you know, a, a free space somewhere in the building. We, we set out very intentionally to have like really robust uh, educational spaces. Uh, yeah. And it's fully accessible for the first time. Uh, you know, we and shelter architecture who has a focus on, on sustainable and universal design, for the first time, we were actually able to design in like our, our tech booth is, is wheelchair accessible, which is no small feat. Like it's, that was, talk about a riddle that took us far too long to solve. Like how do you, the tech booth needs to be up above the audience. How do we, you know, effectively make this wheelchair accessible for people with disabilities that want to get into theater tech? 
And we finally were able to answer that question. And really the answer is square footage. You just need to have room to do it. The bad news is the parking situation in that neighborhood is pretty rough. Uh, we actually, we learned in 2019, we submitted a proposal to the city to, when we were looking at purchasing the building. The first one actually proposed demolishing the North building entirely to make a parking lot. And the city told us in no uncertain terms that any design that added surface parking would be denied. They changed the, the parking regulations and the parking overlay on two blocks of Uptown on Lindale, uh, basically from 28th to 26th, and no additional surface parking will be allowed. So we have a total of six parking spaces at the theater. Um, thankfully, there's a pay lot less than a block away. There's, you know, there's public street parking, and we've been talking to Fire and Nice on the corner, the, the brew pub. On the corner, they have the uh, parking lot in the back, and they are being extremely generous with their parking spaces for our, our patrons and our students. Um, we're we're making do, and we're and we're finding space where you know previously there hasn't been any, <laughs> but it's not super. Man, talk! You're asking all the questions that I never get to answer. This is the stuff that nobody cares about. <laughs> they just want the fun stuff. I guess we should touch on the fun stuff though too. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> I love I love all this arts administration stuff. I'm oh, really geeking out here. But um, can you talk? That's me the job, about, right? Can you talk about um, like the shows that are like what's exciting about having this new space? Um, oh. Like how does this impact like the upcoming shows and the goals for education? Like it's it is really exciting for the whole infrastructure of the arts but like what are your what are your plans like let's let's get to the fun stuff yeah like i said my background was uh um uh in theater tech so and in building the first huge i really came from that like you know what what would be a really great effective space uh and i think and i think we were pretty successful but the i think maybe even well not even not maybe even more importantly than that it's just sort of the feel of the room you know, you want to you want to be able to seat you know a hundred-ish people, but also you want it to feel cozy and you want it to feel full of potential. And that's really the the exciting thing for me is you know we've got a we've got a really cool uh, design of the building, but it's not until we you know the stage is in, we're putting in the risers and we get the seats in, but then we sort of learn how the space plays, and we've got a community of people that really know how to play in a space, and that's the coolest because it's not just you know, put up risers and some, and, you know, and some rake seating so you can all have good sight lines and, and away you go. Um, it's more intimate than that. And, you know, comedy especially always has been and improv, I think really hinges on some, some personal connection to it. Fun fact, we, so that was one of the challenges we gave to shelter architecture was that our seating can never exceed Dunbar's number, which is uh, 150 people. Um, it's the number beyond which human beings have a difficult time feeling direct personal connection, uh, in a crowd size. So we always wanted the room to be, or the the audience space to be of a size where you can feel directly connected to the performance that's going on. Um, but we wanted to make the space big enough that, you know, the groups that really, that really know how to push like Attenborough and, uh, give the drummer some was another example from this past year. Uh, the shrieking harpies always that really know how to push and confront that that boundary between the audience and make it really permeable and make the audience feel part of the show. That's the stuff that I'm really excited for. And, th- and that's the stuff that doesn't really translate on paper is, yeah, just, you know, what happens if we go play in the audience and does it feel, you know, does it feel nice and tight and cozy enough? That's, that's what I'm really, really excited about. And seeing what the shows 
do with the space. We're, uh, we made a couple of practical changes where uh, we moved our musicians on stage for the first time. Uh, so they're more directly a part of the show instead of being off to the side. The ramping of the stage front, uh, front of house and back was uh, more deliberate and we made it larger to make it more accessible all around things like that. But then it's, it's sort of like, it's the old, like you, you, you beat the pathways and then you lay the sidewalks kind of rule. Right. And which is how we ended up building the sets for the original huge was we, you know, we kind of, we started with a wide open stage and learned what we need. We need a flat, you know, we'd, we'd love to have a door and, and finding that line between what is abstract enough to be every scene we're ever going to do. And, uh, gives you enough, you know, rungs to climb on and ways to reach the ceiling and enough, you know, different levels to play on. That's the stuff that really gets me excited is, is really like bringing the space to life. Yeah. That's, you know, I, which is, you know, a little more vague of an answer. It's, it's not, you know, I don't have anything I can promise you in terms of like, here's what's going to happen. Um, it's more of a, like, you know, you're going to want to watch what happens. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. It is a little bittersweet saying goodbye to the that space, though, when oh. I was just thinking about it. And I mean, I remember seeing some I've been following on social media, you know, like the move and like seeing stuff in the dumpsters. And I just it, oh. it's like bittersweet, but it, it is nice to imagine um, the shrieking harpies. I love I love seeing them. And it's just like so great for like a great a great performance to take like people who are like new to improv. And uh, so, like, it's exciting to, like, think about seeing them playing on different kinds of spaces, like outside the fringe even. So um, it it is pretty exciting. So can you give us a little sneak preview about what's coming up this fall? I did see that the Star Trek was having some (laughs) performances again, which I'm also very into. Oh, they're so great. Yeah, this fall's been, um, so we still have a couple of shows left uh, at Center for Performing Arts. Uh, Creature Feature, which is our longest running show, it's an improvised monster movie, uh, is running on Fridays. Star Trek is running on Saturdays, uh, which was one of Huge's like, so Creature Feature is our longest running show. Star Trek was easily our first like smash hit show. And it's so ridiculously fun. Yeah, the two of them together on, on a weekend make me so happy. The Bearded Company is doing their Swords and Sorcery, their improvised uh, role-playing campaign. It's just, yeah, it's, we try to keep the fall kind of spooky, super weird, um, a little more genre heavy, um, because that's when things get, uh, yeah, it's really fun to play with. There's an improvised Twilight Zone uh, on Saturdays at 10 o'clock that is phenomenal. Like there's something about improv that really lends itself to, you know, things are just a little bit off and it's, you know, kind of unsettling. That is really, really fun to play with. Yeah. And then we, we hit the ground running with our, our grand opening in November and then into holiday shows, family dinner, Improvathon is coming. Ooh. That's awesome. And then oh my goodness. Can, can, can you talk uh, to like, how can, like um, what challenges do you have coming up? Um, what, how can our theater community and theater fans, uh, arts fans support your, what you're doing? Tell, tell, <laughs> us, tell us what's like, what's the next obstacle for you? How can we, oh. how can we be advocates for oh, man. your work? As far as obstacles, I mean, you know, moving a theater company with a 12-year history in one location to a new location is already dangerous. So I think just getting the word out and and supporting is key. And the good news is, you know, all we want you to do really is come see shows, like do the fun stuff. Come see shows, sign up for classes, check it out. 
we would, you know, we're going to need to fundraise more aggressively than we have in the past because we're in a new situation, but really just helping spread the word and, and don't let it be this fun secret little thing that, you know, you keep to yourself and you do every once in a while, like tell your friends about it, you know, talk about that weirdo improv show at work and how you're just going to have to see it for yourself. <laughs> but yeah, the challenges we're facing are just getting open, honestly, the, uh, you know, getting through the hurdles of building a, uh, a space can be daunting. And we really just want to, we really want to get that behind us. So we can get to the fun. Uh, you know, like I was saying before, like nobody, nobody wants to deal with that stuff, but uh, getting through construction, but getting the word out has been a, has been a challenge because it's so it's, it changes day by day. And we've, we've been trying really hard to, uh, you know, set an opening date that we can stand behind without having to scramble to, you know, get the word out again. But also we're just busy building a theater and it's really like, we have a full-time staff of seven people. Uh, we don't have, you know, extra people to just do communications. So yeah, I think just getting excited about a new theater owned by artists in your neighborhood is I think maybe the biggest thing people can do. And then just come out and, and have fun and laugh with us and help us break it in and just bring the, bring the building to life. That would be the best. Well, I can't wait to do that. I'm very <laughs> excited. And um, I'll keep following on social media. Seems like that's a good place to um, to keep updated. I know you have like a newsletter as well. That's very totally. That's very good. All right. Anything else, Jill? I don't think I have anything. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? I think the, the biggest thing that we always have to say is the tremendous thanks that we have. You know, it's easy to sit and talk about like we were able to build up reserves. We were able to build up a financial story that, you know, got a, a lender to work with us. But that is all thanks to this community that supported us year over year over year over year and, and really believed in this weird, fun little place and, and that it can make a difference in people's lives, just discovering someplace fun. So yeah, I think always, always, I can't thank our community enough and, you know, and, and welcome people into it. Uh, so if, if there's people that have never checked out a huge theater and are wondering what it's like, it's a blast. You should, you should come check it out. You're going to fall in love with it. And to the people that have been here all along, man, what a, what a journey. And it's all, it's all thanks to this, this wonderful community of artists in the Twin Cities. Well, we bloggers can definitely help with getting the word out. That's, that's what we like to do is get the word out and encourage people to go see some theater, some comedy, some improv, maybe something different than what they've seen before. So I'm yes, please. definitely looking forward to seeing family dinner in the new space in another month or two. And I think we can wrap it up. I think thanks for your so time. Much for much. I, oh. We really appreciate having you and just uh, chatting with us. Thank you. Oh, yes. What a great, Thank what a fun so thing. Our thanks to Butchroy for joining us on the podcast. You can find out more about Huge Theater's new space and their shows on their website at hugetheater.com or on social media. And thank you for listening to Twin Cities Theater Chat. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, rate and review us, and spread the word. Follow the Twin Cities Theater bloggers on Facebook and Instagram to read our reviews and find out what we're up to. And go see a show. Go see a show at the fabulous new huge theater space. Oh.